How many recognize that song? All right. You like to change a pace from, for the walk-up music this morning? Yeah. It relates to the theme, and I thought it would be nice to have a change, throwback to the 90s. Um, I was youth pastor at Cornwall United Methodist Church when that uh, was popular, and I was blessed to see a family here today from Cornwall United Methodist Church. And um, my name's Dave Shire, David Matthew Shire. Uh, I was the student pastor at New Covenant Christian School for about 11 years, 10 years-ish. Yes, some of you represent that school. And um, I had a 12-year-old student once ask me, are you a hobbit? <laughs> David Shire. I said, yes. You want to see my feet? And Because they have hairy feet. And uh, he said, no. And I said, well, I changed my middle name to of the... David of the Shire, so I can be a hobbit now. So, yeah, so my name's Dave Shire. You won't forget my name now. Um, and I, I'm speaking this morning on a subject that um, I, I kind of went in wrestling and kicking and screaming a little bit with because it's a subject that I would have to go to a closet in my soul and turn on some lights and clean out some cobwebs and, and um, didn't necessarily want to go there. The subject this morning is on fathers and going to a compassionate father. And so we're going to be going in that direction today, and you'll know more why of why, you'll know more about why that was a difficult part of my journey. I, I want to say this first, though. You belong here today, right now. You belong here. You're a part of this faith community for now, for here, for today, and maybe for the long term. You know, I, I kind of wrestled with whether or not I, I should talk about this subject, but God said, no, you belong here just as much as everybody else belongs here. I'm usually out there sitting with you, hoping that God's going to give me something wonderful, powerful, life-changing to take home with me from the sermon that day. So, so I understand what your hope and need is right now because that's normally where I am. And um, so in preparation for this morning, I had a lot of those moments. Okay, God, I hear what you're trying to tell me. I hear what you're trying to tell me. So I am certainly not speaking down to anybody today. If there's ever anything that sounds like it might be moving in that direction, that is not the case. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit this morning. Um, when it comes to fathers, I'm not an expert because of my own family background situation and what an earthly father is like. Um, I've had my own practice because I am a dad of a couple of kids. Um, but maybe I am an expert because of the journey that I've been on, just like you're an expert because of the journey you, you've been on. And hopefully we're all a little bit more of an expert by the end of this morning. Um, the Bible refers to, Jesus refers to this bride and groom relationship a lot in Scripture. The Old Testament does too, that that. God or Jesus is the groom and his church, his people are the bride. And that's an analogy. That's, that's a comparison. It's a very valuable one. But I want to be clear. We're not going that direction today. It's, it's an analogy. Today is not an analogy. Today we're talking about God the Father. That is his identity to his people. That is his role with his people which makes us his sons and daughters. That is our identity. That is our role. A child can walk away from the father, but the father, the good father, God the father, will never walk away from his children. 
That's a distinction I want to be clear on right up front, that we're talking about a good father. And the Bible doesn't show us any other good fathers. And we'll, we'll get into that. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I want to introduce you to my father a little bit. If we can go to that first slide, this is... Um, a picture of a Life magazine from 1954. Life magazine decided in 1954 that they were going to do a little expose on a town in Pennsylvania called Palmerton. Anybody know where Palmerton is? Palmerton. And in Palmerton, for some reason, they went to a zinc mining company town up in the coal regions and took a few pictures and wrote a little story. Go ahead to the next slide. Um, this is a picture of the graduating class of 1954. That dude right there is my dad. Right there, it's a blown-up picture. The creepy FBI stalker picture right there. That's my dad. So his name is Neil Shire. Um, we can go to the next picture. Let's play Where's Neil? Where's Neil? Neil, in this picture, in the center spread of Life magazine, my dad is real close to the seam. That's where you want to be if you want to be famous. That's my dad. So Neil Shire, that's my lame claim to fame this morning. My dad was in Life magazine. So Neil Shire is my pop, it was my pop. He, this 1954, uh, fast forwarding 40 years, uh, there's my dad. Now you get a better picture. Let's go to the next picture. There he is. That's my dad. Uh, now you know where I get my good looks from. Um, my, my dad was born um, 18 years prior to those pictures. Um, 1954 were those pictures, and he died in 1994. And I want to tell you a little bit. I don't want to tell you a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about my dad, if you know what I mean. It's kind of a vulnerable experience for me to stand up here and talk about this. Um, I also have, I am a dad too, so I promise my kids I will not embarrass by them by showing pictures of them for very long But my son, Ian, and my daughter, Carissa, you might know them. They're, they're wonderful kids. They're good kids. And um, my son is in college in Florida, about to graduate in another month and a half. And I uh, hope he's watching online. I'm looking at you, Ian. Okay. And my daughter was here at the earlier service. So I am a father. Um, I had, I have a dad. That's kind of my earthly experience of dads. In your bulletin, there are, there's this insert that you could fill out, you could put notes in. On. I want you to understand that this message this morning is a beginning, not an end of itself. It's just a beginning of a Bible study, an exploration that you can do on your own or with your spouse or with kids or whatever. I want you to think about ways you could explore this notion of God as a father. Because for me, it didn't work. It couldn't work if you knew my relationship with my father. And you're going to hear a little bit about that. But first of all, look, at, look in the bulletin. There's, a, there's, a blank, there's some blanks you could fill in that say, you know, what words would you put in there to describe God? Start with that. How would you describe God? I asked the young adult group this question, these three questions last week to take a little survey with them. And the young adults gave these words to describe God, three words to describe God. This is just some of their list. Powerful, loving, wise, holy, faithful, hopeful, full of wisdom, forgiving, heavenly, creative, glorious, providing, leader, gracious, patient, kind, in control. 
there was not a single negative word on that list. All their papers came in. Um, They didn't put their names on them. It was honest and it was anonymous. Then I asked the question, three words to describe your dad. These were their answers. This might feel a little indicting because now it brings it into the room a little bit more. Independent, hardworking, strong, brave, funny, kind, searching, creative, ready to lay down his passion for his family. Wow. But then there were these three words, detached, uninvolved, legalistic. So some positive and a few negative. Then the last question, try to understand the difference between question two and three. Three words used to describe your relationship with your dad. Your relationship. And these were the words the young adults group um, used. Supportive, healthy, loving, good, servant, someone to make, me, make him proud of, honest, forgiving, kind. But then we heard words like strained and rocky, not understanding, unequal, clashing, distance, drifting, waning, a bit abstract. That could be a good thing, couldn't it? I'm a bit abstract. I don't know. A bit messy, not the best. So by the time we got to question three, we heard more negative answers. Question one itself, too, we never heard God is Father. That was not a word that was used to describe God. And I wonder why that is. And I, I think often, like me, I, I think I'm kind of normal in some ways, that we think of God as a father kind of being like our father. But the Bible, we sang about it this morning. The songs were great choices. The, the Bible is very clear. Four or five times it says in Psalms twice, Ecclesiastes it says it once. It says it in the New Testament that no one is good, not even one. None of us. But then the same Bible says repeatedly that we have a good Father. The Hebrew word for good, when that's used, the Greek words for good, when they're used, typically mean perfect. We even sang a song about God being perfect. That God is perfect. So when it says we have a good father, that's not fluffy language. It's genuine. And that's his identity in our lives. He's a good father. So when my father isn't good, I still have a good father to go to. And it feels more abstract because God, he's in the spiritual world. He sent Jesus. Jesus has come and gone back to heaven physically. But he went back to send us something better, according to Jesus. He said, I have to leave to send you someone better. And he sends the Holy Spirit. We'll have to understand why he said, that's better. That's a hard concept to understand. But my dad... I have some good things to say about my dad. He was a kind man. He had a great sense of humor. And um, I have some fun memories of my dad. Like, my dad was a gourmet. When we were little, he was really nervous about babysitting us. I remember when I was like eight or nine years old, and my mom had to go to work, and my dad was like, what do I do? I don't know how to feed these kids. What am I going to do? I remember him getting so stressed out about this because he grew up in the coal regions, conservative Christian home, and he didn't do the household stuff. That was the job. I'm not saying I agree with that. That's just how my dad grew up. And so he didn't know what to do. He was kind of panicked. He said, I'll make you kids 
some gourmet peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We're going to put the bread in this thing over here. It's called a toaster. And he toasted our peanut butter and jelly. See, this story doesn't mean much to you. It doesn't, I know. But this was a positive memory I have with my dad that we'd eat these toasted peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then sit down and watch. This is where I get my love for science fiction movies. We'd watch something creepy like The Astronaut's Hand, I think, was the name of the movie. It was about this hand that got detached from this astronaut, and it just crawled around everywhere and terrorized people. And it was black and white, and we'd watch it on our 13-inch black and white TV. So maybe it was color, but we had a black and white TV. But that's where I got my interest in. This is, this is a happy memory I have with my dad. I could tell one or two fishing stories, but... I got to jump to the chase because I have a lot of stuff I want to share with you. That's not what I experienced mostly with my dad. The older I get, the darker it got. And my dad was an alcoholic, even from those earliest memories. And I don't remember my dad sober. I don't. And my dad's type of alcoholism was brutal to be around. I, I spent my life outside I loved my childhood. I look back on my childhood with like joy and glee, except when I thought about being in my own house. I didn't want to be home. My brother and I didn't want to be home. My brother tried to climb out a second window and jump to get away from my dad one time. And we have stories. And I'll just share this one, but there was this one time professional soccer game came to our town of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And in the big stadium about a half a mile from my house at Liberty High School where I went to school. The stadium seated 5,000 people. I'm in middle school. And my dad says, I'll take you kids to the soccer game tonight. My dad didn't take us anywhere. I never, I have zero memories of my dad coming to one of my baseball games, track meets, soccer games, band concerts, or anything. Zero. Because he was always at his bar. And if he wanted to hide from my mom because she was going there to find him and get him and challenge him up to be a man, he went to a different bar or a different bar. And he was always finding these places to go to avoid the contact. I don't know why. I grew up feeling like my dad doesn't love me. He doesn't like his kids. It was horrible. And I don't want to stand here and sound like a victim. We sang victory in Jesus, not victim in Jesus. I'm a victor in Christ, and I want that to be the bottom line. And the bottom line of my relationship with my dad, well, that soccer game, we thought we were going to go to this soccer game with my dad. We got to the front gates of this big stadium, and he said, I'll be back in an hour. We didn't see him till late in the second half. He left. Guess where he went? And when he came back, thousands of people in this crowded stadium. I'm sitting at the top of the stadium with my friends, and one of my buddies goes, isn't that your dad down there? And my dad is staggering into the stadium across the track. I thought he was going to walk right out on the field where they were playing the game. My brother and I run down, on the run down to the side of the field, grab my dad, and drag him home. And halfway home, my brother quits on me. And I'm carrying this man that's so much bigger than me, 240 pounds, six foot four. I'm dragging his sorry butt back to the house. We fell a couple times. And, you know, this is, this is a parable of a lot of my childhood. It's one story, but there were lots of them like that. And to cut to the chase, my dad had a heart attack 12 years before he died. And the doctor told him, you are going to die unless you quit drinking and quit smoking. Your blood is as thick as pancake syrup. 
you need to quit now. He quit drinking. Praise the Lord. He quit drinking. He didn't quit smoking. He kept smoking two packs of cigarettes a day until 12 years later. It did eventually kill him. But when he quit drinking, he stopped filling the dad-shaped hole in his heart with alcohol and returned to the Lord. He became a believer after he put down his vice. And my relationship with my dad began that day. I doubted for years, even after that, for years I doubted my dad because he had made many empty promises before. He, he said, quitting drinking is easy. I've done it 12 times already. You know, he, he would have these quips that he would say about quitting smoking or drinking. Um, he ended up living in a trailer home after divorcing my mom, and it was, he filed for bankruptcy. Messy, messy story. But the day he quit drinking and decided to return to the Lord, when he died, he was singing in the choir. And he said, the choir is the place on earth where I feel closest to God. And I celebrate that. It might not feel like a miracle to you, but it is a miracle to me. Because that was a different man entirely than the man I grew up with. I shouldn't say with. The man I grew up watching from as much a distance as I could keep. We have a father that's opposite of that. I'm glad my earthly father came to know the Lord and we got to begin restoring our relationship to the point he could hug me and say, I love you before he died. More miracle. But our heavenly father, our perfect father, is where I want to draw our attention to today. We all have two fathers. That's on your paper. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I tend to stream when I talk. I'm more of a content dump preacher than an intentional formatted teacher. I love those preachers and teachers because I can learn from them and I can follow them. But when I speak, I can't be one of them. But when I look around the room, what I see, I don't see a room full of people as much as I see a legacy. You heard about a little bit about the legacy of my family. You have a legacy too. What did your moms and dads give to you, good and bad? What did their parents give to them, good and bad? Their parents, to them, good and bad. What are you passing on to the next generation? I don't care if you're a teeny tiny young person sitting in the room right now. You have something to give to the next generation. This is the way God's legacy works in his people. So we are a room full of legacies beyond being a room full of people. Um, I'm thankful this church, by the way, gives me opportunity to be a counselor in-house, um, in the prayer room. I get to meet with clients, and, and um, I'm just thankful and honored to be allowed and, and asked to speak this morning um, and on such a difficult subject as well, too. But one of the things I really like to encounter in the counseling room is that one person may be sitting in the room, but they're part of a system, part of a legacy, part, part of lots and lots of influence and opportunity to influence others. That's, that's God's story, and that's what he wants from us. So we look at the Bible, and we see in the Old Testament 13 times that the word father is used, and all 13 times the word father is used to represent the whole nation of Israel. He's the God of a nation, the father of a nation. Um, and in the Old Testament, we have many examples of families, 
usually led by fathers because it's a patriarchal uh, series of books. Um, and we hear of stories of men in the Bible. How many of those men can you find that are really good men? How many of those stories can you find that have had messy pieces to their family stories? My thought is all of them. All of them. And go ahead and explore on your own, but they all have messiness, but God does what? He uses them anyway to build his legacy. So why, why do some of us, or maybe even all of us, at some point in time, kind of give up, thinking, oh, God's not going to use me? Yeah, he is. He used Abraham. Well, what was messy about Abraham? Abraham had a good life. He was the father of a nation. Changed world history as we know it. Jews that are Christians and Jews that are non-Christians both all agree that Abraham's their father of their nation. But Abraham's the same guy that was homeless and dragging his family through a desert. He gave up his big business to do this and reestablished it later. He was a guy that didn't have a church. He didn't have Jesus at that point in time. He didn't have a faith community. In fact, his father, Abraham's father, brought him out of a place called Ur. Do you know what Ur was? It was the capital of a pagan cultish nation known as ancient Babylon. Not the same Babylon that overtook Israel later, but ancient Babylon, it was really horrific. They sacrificed their children to their gods. This is the nation Abraham started his life in. He didn't have a lot of, he didn't come from a, a country with a good government system. We may think ours is messy. So, then, then the worst thing is what Abraham does in his own fear and weakness, he offers his wife to a king because he's afraid of the king. I'll say you're my sister. Gwen, go to the king. Okay, how many women would say, that would be cool. How many times does Abraham do this? Twice. And then think of the legacy. His son Isaac, what does he end up doing? Same thing. You can look at this yourself in the book of Genesis. But we see messy families. But God said, I'm still going to use you. In fact, you're not going to have children until you're an old man. And he still used them in miraculous ways. He's going to use us too. Why would we think we don't have a compassionate father that wouldn't use us similarly? This time is going to go so fast, so i got to keep on rolling. Um, moving on on your handout, Jesus addressed God as Father. Now we're moving to the New Testament. Jesus is in the New Testament. And Jesus consistently addressed God as Father. Um, we can find the word Father in the New Testament over 300 times. And over 150 times, Jesus is actually referring to God as Father. And 100 plus times in the book of John. So if you want to study God as a Father and try to wrestle with that for your own life, go to the Gospel of John and look at chapters 14, 15, and 16. Chapter 14, by itself, over 25, 23, 24 times, Jesus is talking about God the Father to his disciples. He's trying to get them to understand, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We have this compassionate Father that wants us to come to him. How are we supposed to do that? Well, he says, this guy's the access point. 
Jesus, you come through me. I'm the gate to access the Father. He's our Savior. He's the one that's redeemed us. The Easter story's coming. And you're going to hear stories like the Garden of Gethsemane, Palm Sunday. When, as we, the next few weeks as we go through this uh, season of Easter, listen to Scripture and to speakers how often we hear God being referred to as Father. That's his identity in our lives. It took me till I was in my 50s. I'm in my 50s now. It took me till I was in my 50s. Some of you think, oh, he's, he's, he's like in his 80s. I don't know. Metric years, I'm in my 80s. Um, it took me till I was in my 50s to really accept this truth. And I still wrestle with it. Because even though my dad became saved, I still see the residual effects of an absent father and a dysfunctional father in my own reactions to people, my own struggle with not giving an angry response. I was an angry, angry man for many years. I still struggle with it in my response. I shouldn't say response, in my reaction. That's different. So I don't know where everybody is in in your story, but maybe that's similar to your story. But it could be because we have a dad-shaped hole in our hearts. And then we go ahead and we try to fill that dad-shaped hole in our hearts with, with things that are just nasty at times. Even our kids aren't exempt from it. Should have brought the statistics, but do you know how many of our children, our teenagers, and even younger get or receive texts that say, send me a pic? Do you know what that means? They're not just asking for a picture from their girlfriend. They're asking for a picture. You know how many girls are saying yes because they need to be needed? They want to be wanted. They love to be loved. I would, I would ask us to think, is that because there's a good father-shaped hole in the, in the hearts of our young people and our adults? If we want to fill our lives with a compassionate father, we've got to challenge ourselves to not take the next drink. We've got to challenge ourselves to not download or upload the next porn video. We've got to challenge ourselves to, to call our sons or brothers or sisters that we've been estranged from for years. We've got to challenge ourselves to write a note of kindness or compassion. It takes intentional effort. It's not going to just happen. And one thing I want to make sure I'm clear on before we run out of time, which is going to be really soon, um, there are ways we can do it as God's people. But again, it takes intentional effort. We need each other. God called us here for a reason today, as, as we pointed out earlier. Three different groups of people I want you to think about today. There are so many different ways we can unpack what are some good steps we can take moving forward. So many ways we can unpack why prayer is such a good way. Why diving into God's word is such a good way. We, we know those ways. But why being a part of the church? That one's harder for some people. We're called to be a part of God's fellowship. I want to kind of relatedly unpack three groups of people that I think we're all called to. In my life, some of the greatest change occurred 
when I intentionally asked one man to be a mentor in my life. There were some messy pieces to my life, and I needed a guide. I needed somebody to like kind of, who's been there, done that. So I want to encourage you to think about this. Who, like, who, who is somebody you can go to that can be a mentor to you? Somebody older, I would say of the same gender, and I would certainly say a Christian. Who can speak into your life that's going to build you up, lift you up, hold you up when you need it the most? Can't emphasize mentoring enough. It's just a different word in a way than disciple. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're called to be with other disciples. Disciples, disciple, disciples, who then disciple more disciples and new disciples. That's how it all began all the way through the generations to you and me. This is just another word, mentoring. So who's somebody you can pray about this? Think about it. Who's somebody that can be a mentor in your life? I have three men at this point in my life that are mentors to me. I can't get enough of them. I'll call them. I'll get together for taco night at Moose's. I'll, I'll, I'll send a text like, wow, pray for me this way, that way. I am not too good a man to say, I don't need a mentor. So I have these three men that are mentors in my life. Another really good resource is as we receive the gift of mentors, we need to think about paying it forward. Our kids are starving for good adult role models in their life who are pursuing God. And they might not even know it. I don't need God. Well, if they're saying that, then they really do. And who are the people that we could be mentoring? I've been blessed in, in my last two years of my life. I have five guys that have invited me to mentor in their lives. And I've seen or heard from three of them this morning already. And they go to other churches. And one of them's here now, but I don't want to embarrass anybody or call attention to anything. But it is such a privilege when a young man sits down and says, says um, this is what's happening in my life. Or what would you think would be good for this part of my life? Or, or I just need you to listen. I just want to talk. And that is rich to a man that grew up in a setting like I grew up in. I knew when God called me out of illustrating for Crayola Crayon Company back in the 1980s, I knew right away when I put down the illustration pens that God wanted me to work with youth to stand in the gap in places. God wanted me to give to kids what I didn't have. I was passionate about that. So that's how God has borne the passion in me to work with youth. But you too, think of somebody that you can mentor. Somebody needs you. Pray about that. And, and if you can't think of any youth, young adults, or children that you can be a mentor to, maybe it's your own child and a different way of doing things. Or maybe our God is a God of surprises. There are a lot of surprises in the Bible. Like walking on water? Seriously? We heard about that one last week. But God's a God of surprises, so pray that God lifts up somebody that you can be a mentor to. And then watch. Watch. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he ask those three guys to do? Peter, James, and John? Sit with me and watch. Stay awake. Watch for the surprises. Of course, that surprise that night was pretty tragic, but you'll hear more about that in Easter. But watch for the surprises. God wants to surprise us. And the third group is peers. When I struggle or wobble and, and just want to fall down, 
If I have enough friends around me, no matter which direction I wobble, someone's there to do a trust fall with me and help shore me up. So I have about four or five guys that I've intentionally asked. This sounds kind of goofy and cheesy and childish. Will you be my friend? I didn't ask it that way. I asked by one of my friends. We go out for tacos every other Tuesday, every other Wednesday. Yeah, Moose's has, I'm not getting paid for this. Taco night on Wednesdays at Moose's. So um, anyway, friends, mentors, and mentees. Those are the three groups I would encourage you to move towards as a way of building our compassion um, towards the world around us. Because here's the thing. God is a compassionate God, and I wish we could unpack that more. A um, couple minutes. Can we put the slide up there with the paintings, the Rembrandt paintings, please? Thank you. We've got two Rembrandt paintings up here. This is going to be part of our conclusion this morning. Rembrandt painted these images of um, what story that Jesus told? The story of the prodigal son. Why do we call it that? Focuses on the messy person. Focuses on the person being redeemed. But here, here's the idea for today. God calls us to be compassionate just as the Father is compassionate. I, I can share lots and lots of scriptures with you about that. We are called to be compassionate. Like the good Father is compassionate with us. Maybe not the worldly Father or physical Father because we all have two kinds of fathers. The physical Father and a spiritual father. Even if you say, I don't know my dad. I've never had a dad. Well, you had a biological dad contributing to your life at one point in time. So a story, I'm sorry if it's messy or distant or broken. I know that experience from my story. Not, I'm not saying I know exactly how you feel. It's impossible, but I understand. And the compassionate father early on in Rembrandt's career, he painted a father that's above and very awesome and mighty and comforting and strong. But by the end of Rembrandt's career, he painted this. Soon before he died, you see a compassionate father just embracing on, on his knees almost and broken. Rembrandt, at this point in his life, his wife had died, two close friends had died, and all of his children had died. He was a broken man. And you can see the hurt, the, the, the compassion that Rembrandt had. They say this is a spiritual self-portrait of Rembrandt. He doesn't look like that. But this man and this man were painted same guy. Same guy. So they're kind of spiritual self-portraits of a man that has learned that, first of all, we go to God the Father. You, you know the story? The, this this kid says, give me my inheritance, and he goes and spends it all, and he ends up spending the whole inheritance eating with pigs that he's slopping, and going, I got to go back home, but will my father accept me? And dad receives him. But in that story, which son does the father move towards? Which one? Is this a trick question? He moved towards this guy, the, the prodigal son, the one that took his inheritance. He saw him in the road, and he ran to him. He moved towards both sons. The second son, back here in the shadows, the jealous, belligerent one, he's back there in the shadows. The father moved towards him too. It says he left the party for the younger son. 
in, in, in their culture, if the host left the party, guess what happened to the party? Stopped. It ended. Or it just stopped until he came back. So he left the party. The party stopped. His other son became his only focus at that time. Which son are we? Which child are we? I would think that we're all both of them at some point in time. But God moves towards his people, all of them, all of his children. He moves towards them. Turn and face him. Let him come to you. Move towards him. And the other interesting piece of this story is, I think we should change the name to something like becoming a compassionate father. Even, I know there's women in the room and everything. It's patriarchal. I'm sorry. But becoming the compassionate one. Not that we become God, but Scripture tells us, we sang about it, we read one Scripture that said, we are called to become compassionate like the Father. And that's our call. And how do we do that? With mentoring, staying in the Word, praying, um, thinking of people in your life, asking God to surprise you. Again, I said this sermon is the beginning of something. It's not the end. So use the back of the sermon guide to to trigger some ideas and thoughts of how you can build your relationship with God the Father, how you can grow in acceptance, maybe. That's the first step, that God is your Father. And yeah, maybe that's just overstated from a guy that really needed to hear that. So he was in his 50s. So the last couple weeks since I've been praying for this message and trying to get God to tell me to speak about something else, um, God said, no, you're going to talk about this. And by the way, call me Father every time you pray. Because when the disciples said, Lord, Jesus, tell us how we should pray. Jesus said, our, that's how we should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may we all turn to the Father with compassion and then challenge ourselves to think about how we can become more like the Father. Like the scripture says, when we do this, when we go through and persevere our challenges, we will become mature and complete. I'm thinking most of us in this room want to be mature and complete. So we could work towards that by beginning to call our God Father. So... um, Worship team, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and this opportunity to pray in your name, Father. We are, we are grateful to think about the things that you would have us to, to think about. And we ask, God, that you would um, help us to grow in our compassion towards others, whether it's our own children, our parents, our friends, whatever. Help us to move in that direction in this, in this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Dave, for sharing your heart with us. Thank you, congregation, for listening. Allow the thoughts to penetrate, but let's, let's end by thanking the Lord that we are His sons and daughters. Church, let's start our week praising God. Let's stand together.
together, church. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. I grew up in, the closing of the service was called the benediction. And the word benediction simply means a closing blessing. We have a closing prayer here. Closing blessing is, is when we receive, but it's a beginning. It's not just an end. It's a beginning. 
Our New Testament, most of the books of the New Testament are letters, and most of those letters end with a benediction where Paul or the author is sending people off with a blessing as a beginning to the rest of their lives. So may we, as God's people, go blessed knowing that we have a perfect and a good father. May we know that our earthly fathers, or we as fathers, can be messy and dysfunctional, but you use us anyway. May we go feeling normal. May we go feeling challenged. May we go stepping into whatever you have in our future today and each day moving forward, knowing you as our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.